In today's episode, we're talking about customer experience strategy and why being customer focused is not nearly enough. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped drive success for them throughout their career? Then we take all those things and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, today's episode, we are sitting down with fellow customer experience expert, Annette Franz. Now, Annette Franz is the founder and CEO of a company called CX Journey, Inc. And she started her career in customer experience at JD Power. Uh, and that was back in 1992. So she's got tons of experience, both on the client side and the vendor side, really helping companies understand their employees and customers, identify what drives retention, satisfaction, engagement, and what really helps improve the overall experience, ultimately so that employees, customers, and businesses can reap the benefits and achieve their goals. She has written two great books. Uh, one is called Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience. And her second book is called Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture that Drives Value for Your Business. Both of those books are on Amazon. Highly, highly encourage you to go check those books out. But in today's episode with Annette, we are really going to be talk, talking about the difference between being customer-focused and being customer-centric, what those two things look like in the culture and what they look like from a behavior perspective. And then we're going to talk about her 10 principles that you can apply to your organization to ultimately become more customer-centric. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend, Annette Franz. Annette. Welcome to the show. We are excited to have you on with us today. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. Uh, I'm ready to jump in. And I, I know that we've had a lot of other kind of customer experience experts on the show. Um, but I think you've got a really unique point of view and, and you've got some different books on the different on the, on the topics. But really for today, I want to start us with some of the first pages of your latest book talking about customer focused versus customer centric. I think a lot of organizations use those words as buzzwords or concepts that they think are important. But the differentiation between customer focused and customer centric is really important. Can you talk to us about that difference between those two phrases? Yeah, absolutely. I, it, this is a great question. And I think people do use the two terms interchangeably or don't really know what one means versus the other. And, and that's okay. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> um, customer focused, the way, that I, the way that I look at it is, you know, a lot of companies say they're customer focused. And yeah, everybody says they're going to focus on the customer. And, and to me, it's more tactical than being customer centric. So customer focuses, yeah, you know, we're listening to our customers. We've got surveys. We, you know, but don't really take the time to go deeper than that, right? We listen to them. We focus on the customer in front of us. If there's somebody in front of us, we're going to, you know, treat them well and, and take care of them. And that's pretty much the extent of being customer focused, right? We, we, we take care of the customer in front of us. That's how I like to just talk about that in a nutshell. Customer centric to me is much deeper than that, right? It's it's it flows through the veins of the organization, right? It's in your DNA. It's 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 what we do around here. It's how we do things. 
it's um, the way that I like to define being customer centric is no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing the customer voice into those, you know, into all of those and asking, how is this going to impact her? How's it going to make her feel? What value is it going to bring for her? Um, what problems will it solve for her? So it's a lot deeper and, it, and it, the, that customer voice is brought into everything that the organization does what, versus customer focuses. Oh, yeah, you know, customers here, customers in front of us and we'll take care of you when you're here in front of us, you know, but the other, the, the flip side of that is it's flowing through the veins of the organization. I love it. And, and so I think one thing I want to dial in here on is really the outcomes and what it looks like on the end and why that differentiation is important, right? So I guess one question I would have is where are the customer focused organizations falling short and that prevent them from being truly customer centric? And what does that look like from a business results standpoint? Yeah, you know, I, I companies that say that they're customer focused will typically, you know, they'll have you know, great satisfaction scores or whatever, but where they fall short is that they don't necessarily bring the customer voice into everything that they do, right? They may be the same companies that put, you know, products before people, right? They think they know what's in the mm. best interest of their customers because, um, yeah, because we focus on customers and so we know what's best for them, right? And so, what ends up happening is that the, the experience and the, pro the products and the experience tend to fall short, right? Because it's not something that we take to heart, that we, that we bring the customer voice into everything that we do day in and day out, you know? Um, again, it's, you know, when we're, when we're designing the experience before customer centric, we are really listening to the customer. We're understanding the customer. We're taking the time to always bring that customer perspective and customer voice into everything that we do. Whereas customer focused companies are really, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to that depth. They don't have core values around, Hey, the customer is, you know, the people first and those kinds of things, right there, they do fall short and the outcomes are real, right? When we're, when I actually just saw, saw a statistic this morning, um, uh, that Delo it was from Deloitte, I believe, and it was, you know, customer-centric companies are 60% more profitable than product-centric companies. And that's where I feel mm. when we say that we're customer-focused, we're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're making this for our customers. We've got customers. Yeah, we're doing this for customers. But we don't go to that level of depth of having just the customer at the heart of everything we do. And so the, out the outcomes are real. I think that, that um, innovation, um, growth, the the loyalty that we see when we know you know working with a business that is customer centric look at look at a company like uh, zappos i always love to use them as an example here because they truly are customer centric organization they live and breathe customer right and everything that they do their core values show it and what a you know being acquired by amazon for a billion dollars you know i mean that's a pretty um pretty positive outcome right and and the other thing that happens too with and i I know you asked about customer-focused companies, but it's a lot more fun talking about the customer-centric ones, right? The the customer-centric ones, they sort of stick together. You know, Amazon is is hey we're the we're Earth's most mm -hmm. customer-centric company, right? Well, hey, guess what? We just acquired another company that was very customer-centric as well, right? So these 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 cultures that um, you know are they go together, right? <laughs> there's a statistic out there for there's, sure. There's research out there that shows that CEOs look at other companies. And, and and look at the culture and look at these types of things 
before making those mergers or acquisitions, right? And so, you know, that's what I believe happened with Amazon and Zappos as well. So that's just one example. You've, you've traveled all over the world, speaking, writing, helping organizations almost make this move from being customer focused to customer centric. Can you think of any, any companies that you've worked with that that light bulb has clicked and what are some of the changes that they've made to become more customer centric? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll actually just bring it right, even though I've been around the world, I will just bring it right back home. I, I'm in uh, Southern California in Orange County and I work with a client here in Orange County, a startup, as a matter of fact, they have five-year-old startup and great, you know, backing um, for the organization and everything, but they had, um, didn't really have a very good understanding of even who their customers were, right? So mm. we, we went and did a couple of different things. First of all, you know, when I first start working with the client, I will um, interview the executive team. Um, a sampling of employees and a sampling of customers because I really want to just get a baseline. I want to get an understanding of, you know, the current state and get a fair assessment of where things are and really discover through that that they don't know who their customers are. They haven't, there was, they haven't done any work around sort of product market fit and, you know, those kinds of things. And so we did, um, and the culture was not one that was customer-centric. It was very much product-centric, very much, hey, the product comes first, you know, our customers. So we, we did a lot of different things. One of the major things that we did was, you know, having first, first thing I did was have conversations with the CEO on a regular basis, because we need to have that CEO uh, committed to and uh, really understand and committed to the work that lies ahead, not just in terms of um, uh, committed, committing resources, you know, time, human capital, whatever, you know, financial mm-hmm. resources, but also committed to the success of the work that lies ahead and, 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 and ensuring that, that what we are setting out to do, it's going to happen. So, so we needed that CEO committed and he very quickly understood why he needed to be on board and what his role was. And he became the customer's champion. And he and I worked very closely together to make sure that we shifted the, the mindsets and the behavior within the organization. And at the same time, I worked with um, their head of HR, people and talent, um, on the culture. We took a look at the core values. We revisited the core values. They were very internally focused in terms of, hey, we're all we're all rah rah, we're all doing good things. Great core values, but we needed to add some core values that were specific to um, customers and and people, you know, uh, in general, but specifically to customers. And so we we revisited the core values. We added a core value that was customer driven, and then we made sure that we defined the behaviors that were associated with each of those core values. So we can't just have core values. You know, we've got to define them. We've got to make sure that we know what's acceptable and unacceptable for each core value. So we define those um, and then socialize them. And then you've got to operationalize them, right? And core values, you've got to hire, fire, and promote with that, with those core values in mind. And that's exactly what they did. They went back and took a look at all of their job description, their job postings, everything, just to make sure that we have all of these core values um, incorporated into that uh, process of bringing, bringing the right people on board and, and then developing um, people as well. And then we also um, uh, set up a culture committee uh, that's focused on making sure that the customers were, you know, and, and the culture was maintained and sustained um, the, way that, the way that they needed it to be. 
we did a lot of different things. <laughs> we we um, took a look at you. You, you kind of have to, right? Like it, it, again, talking about this being pervasive within the culture. Like it, it's not like you can go do one thing and be like, oh, we're customer centric now. Again, that's I think that's part of the difference between being customer focused and centric, right? Exactly. That's you're, you're spot on. Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent spot on with that because th there is, and it's not. You know, a lot of people think, "Hey, what can we do in the next three months?" And it's just not a three month long thing, right? You know, I'm still working with yeah. this uh, client now, and you know, it's been a little bit over a year. They've made huge strides. They've made huge strides. They, we've defined who the customer is. We've done, you know, the personas. We've done all of that work, um, and you know, it's we, again, it's got to be socialized. We've got to make sure that employees aren't born there. You know understanding it and know their role in, in, uh, delivering a great experience to the customer. So. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too. I mean, Katie and I, uh, on my team, we were with a client, maybe it was last week. Um, and it was really kind of the first conversation and had a bunch of the senior leaders in the room. And there was this, this overwhelming temptation for them where a lot of them are action oriented to jump right into the tactics. And, Unfortunately, as as much as I am a guy that is about like process and I'm about outcomes and I'm about showing success, you got to back up and you got to focus on the mindset that has to start first because it has to impact the way that you think to set up for future. Otherwise, they're going to need to continuously hire you to come up with new ideas because their people aren't doing it themselves, right? Um, well, let's jump in and talk about some of your principles that you have here. You've got 10 principles that are really designed to help ensure organizations are customer centric. Um, so I don't want to go through all 10 of them per se. Uh, we've got 10 uh, that we can put into the show notes, but maybe you can kind of run through what all 10 of them are high level, and then we'll dive deep into a few. Absolutely. Um, so the first one is, um, the first and the second one are sort of intentionally where they are. Maybe even the first three are intentionally where they are um, because they're probably the most important ones. But I will say just as a, you know, as a precursor that you have to do all 10. <laughs> You've got to have all 10. These are foundational um, principles for a customer-centric organization. So you got to do all 10. So the first one is culture is the foundation. So we just talked a little bit about culture um, and that is... Uh, you know, core values plus behaviors. You've got to have some customer-driven core values and you've got to outline those behaviors um, relative to uh, each of those core values. Um, the second one is around leadership commitment and alignment. Um, and it, a customer-centric culture is one that's deliberately designed to be that way. The CEO has committed to putting the customer's best interests at the heart of everything that, that the organization does. Um, and so we but we've got to have the entire leadership team, first of all, the entire executive team uh, across the board, but the entire leadership team on board, committed and aligned on um, doing the work that it takes to, to develop or to, to, to build this customer-centric organization. Um, so really important because if we don't have the entire organization's leadership on board, we see different things throughout the organization, right? And we see different behaviors. We see different ways that people mm -hmm. interact with customers and those kinds of things. And what ends up happening is the customer experience feels really disjointed. Say I'm, I'm a customer and I have interacted with five different departments within an organization. And three of those leaders are on board. The other two really are you're kind of wishy-washy on this whole customer-centric thing. Well, guess what? I now feel like I've, I've interacted with, you know, three or four different companies 
because there's there's just this disjointed, yeah. there's not this consistent experience across the organization. So we really want everybody um, on board. We need to have everybody on board with this. Um, the third one is around employee experience, and, and employees must um, be put more first. And it's funny, when I wrote this, the publisher said, is that a typo? And I said, no, that's not a typo. We have to put employees more first. If we're going to put customers first, we have to put employees more first. Um, we know that employees, mm-hmm. uh, employee experience drives the customer experience. If we don't have employees to design, build the pro- design and build the products, sell the products, service the products, you know, uh, interact with customers, we don't have anything, right? We need those employees. So we need them, we need them cared for. We need them to ensure we have a great experience. And I think we're seeing this a lot right now with the great resignation, how important uh, the employees and their experiences. Um, number four is people before products. We really want to, when we, when we design our products, we want to make sure that we, again, put the, put the customer at the center of that, listen to their pain points, the problems they're trying to solve, and then build products or design products for customers rather than finding customers for our products. We, will, we want to make sure that we have designed the products that will solve problems for our customers. Um, the fifth one is people before profits. Um, a lot of um, leaders, a lot of executives still live under that old management adage that we're in business to uh, maximize shareholder value. Shareholder value is an outcome, right? Profits are an outcome. We can't forget that the people, mm-hmm. are, the people get us there. So let's take care of the people and the numbers will come, right? Um, number six is people before metrics. And people before metrics is all about if we, and, you know, a lot of times we get stuck on, you know, the KPIs and NPS and CSAT and whatever, you know, whatever the metrics are. But if we take the time to focus on improving the experience and doing what it takes to improve the experience, we'll do things differently and we'll do different things. And if we, then if we just focus on the metrics and moving the needle, right? There's the example that I always use because I, I came up in this world, right? I started my career in this space 30 years ago at Jamie Power and Associates. And back in the mm-hmm. day, it was a lot worse behavior than I think what we see now. But we, you'd go and buy a car and the salesman or saleswoman would say, hey, you know, you're going to get a survey after you walk out of the showroom or, you know, drive, drive off the lot. Um, you know, please, 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 please give me a 10 out of 10 on the online you know, the, the survey questions, otherwise I'm not going to get my commission. I won't get, you know, they'll take my firstborn. I don't know. It just, there's always these sort of crazy, crazy things. So they game the system, right? So it's a bad experience for customers because that's kind of an icky thing, but it's also bad for employees. Why should an employee have to beg for their commission or for their bonus or whatever, right? By asking for a great score. So, you know what? So if no doubt, just, no doubt. Right. So if we just deliver a great experience, the customer will give you the no great score. So, so let's focus on the experience. Um, number seven is all about customer understanding and it's the cornerstone of customer centricity. Um, it really is. If you go back to what I said was a definition of being customer centric, it's about bringing that customer voice into everything we do. And that's what customer understanding is, right? And it's the cornerstone. So a cornerstone is that first stone that's laid in the foundation of a, of a building. Um, and then every other stone is, um, is laid with, you know, in, with, with respect to that or in reference to that first stone. So if we think about the cornerstone being the customer and the customer understanding the different ways that we get that understanding and that everything else that we do is, is you know, based on that, that's, that's what customer understanding is all about. Um, number eight is governance. It's, governance is, helps to bridge or organize, sorry. 
governance helps to bridge organizational gaps. Um, and one of the things that we know about a customer-centric organization is that it, it is a collaborative organization, right? You have to work together. Every department has to work together. If, again, going back to the comment about leadership, if, if they're not working together, we're going to feel that inconsistent experience, right, from channel to channel or from department to department. So we want to um, ensure that we've got governance set up and governance is both around the structure. Those are cross-functional committees that work together to, you know, share the customer feedback and do the work that we need to do to improve the experience. But then it's also the people, the tools, the data, the processes that we um, mm -hmm use in the in the work that we're going to be doing every day to make sure the customer has a great experience. Number nine is outside in thinking and doing versus inside out thinking and doing and outside in is when we bring that customer voice in versus inside out thinking and doing is hey we know what's best for customers. We don't have to talk to them. We don't have to listen to them. We know what's best. And and the way that I was talking about this one is if if it's outside in thinking, we say I know the customer da 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 da. If it's inside out thinking, it's, I think the customer wants da 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 da, right? So that's the difference. I know versus I think so. And then the last one is the platinum Love rule. It. The platinum rule rules. That, that's how I wrote it in the book. The platinum rule rules is the last rule. And the platinum rule is treat others the way that they want to be treated versus the golden rule is treat others the way that we want to be treated. And we know, we know we don't all want to be treated the same way. The story that I start that chapter with is, um, the Dale, the Dale Cooney, Carnegie book where he talks about um, going fishing. And he's like, I like strawberries and cream, but I'm not going to be, this is such an extreme example, but it's so true. I like strawberries and cream, but when I go fishing, I'm not going to put strawberries and cream on the hook because fish don't like strawberries and cream, right? So so that's a very Thanks. extreme example of treat others the way they want to be treated. Put the fish on, uh, or, sorry, put the worm on the hook, not the strawberries. So, so those are the 10, those are the 10 uh, principles. We'll recap those 10 uh, principles in the show notes. So everybody's got that and you can reference it in one look. But I want to, let, let's jam a little bit on the first three. So let's start with the first one. Culture is foundation, core values and behaviors. I'll, I'll share our approach. I mean, our approach when we're working with clients on that piece, we, the, the engagement team, we come from kind of the Disney background. So for us, what that actually looks like is you've got mission, you've got vision, but really on the behavior side and the cultural side, you've got your common purpose, which is much more of a statement of like, if, if you weren't here today, if that, if your company was not here, what would be missing from the world? What's that emotion we're trying to hook into? So that common purpose piece, then you've got your service standards, which is really kind of a decision-making tool. Cause right. When we talk about culture, we're talking about behaviors. So we're talking about action uh, and then underneath each standard. So if you've got something like safety or courtesy, what does that actually look like? What are those key behaviors so that what are those I statement behaviors that people can actually go in and apply? And how do those differ for a frontline person versus someone leading people, right? So you get kind of different sets of behaviors. So when we go in and work with organizations, that's what we're really trying to focus on is those that common purpose, service standards, and behaviors. That's really how we think about approaching it. How do you how do you approach it with your clients? Yeah, it's it's very similar. And the, I will add the one thing that that I make sure that we add to that is outcomes. What does it look like? What what does that mean for? The employee, what does it mean for the customer and what does it mean for the business? So if we do this, if we live this, what does this, what does that, what does that get us ultimately? But, but to your point, your outcomes focused and that's certainly uh, one of the things that um, I make sure that I add into that piece is what does this mean? Because everybody wants, wants to know what's, 
what's in the, what's in it for me right so <laughs> so very similar when, when you're when you're when you're crafting, you're crafting those things what have you found is like the biggest barrier for organizations to actually great we created them now we got to go out and take them from words on the wall and actually put them into practice what do you feel like the biggest barrier where or biggest like obstacle in the dark that organizations trip up on when they're actually trying to move from creation to implementation. Yeah, they, I, I think it, I think they do just trip up on that whole, like, how, how do we, how do we go from what we, what, where we were to where we are, where we want to be, right? And a lot of that is, is it, it, that's almost, it's, it's almost, um, it stops people in their tracks, right? They're like, they're, they're sort of dumbfounded about what do we do next? And so, if we really have to lay out for them and give them examples and give them ideas of how to roll out the core values in different ways that they're mm. they're constantly in front of um, in front of employees and how do we get them engaged and so there's a lot of the you know sort of the common ways of you know tr core values training and you know those kinds of things but we'll do fun stuff too like that we'll name conference rooms after the core values or we'll have a core value of the month where we'll have um, you know, there'll be, you know, brown bag lunches about what that means. And then there'll be, you know, awards or not, not awards, but recognition for your peers who have lived this core value, this model, you know, those kinds of things. So we start to just, mm -hmm. you know, get in there and do just get people really entrenched in, in thinking this way and talking about them and using them in their meetings and using them in different ways so that they become part of what we do every day. I think one thing that is important to note if you're going through this process, whether you're doing it with Annette, whether you're doing it with us, how, however you're going, whether you're doing it on your own, I think people get tripped up when they think, oh, we did training. We told, we told everybody about the values. We're good. Like, check. We did it. And to your point, I mean, it is just got to be a constant reminder and a barrage nonstop of different ways to reinforce it. Name the conference rooms after it. I love that. We've not, I've never done that, but that's like a great constant reminder. And it's a little thing. And you can't just say, so you can't just say one time, oh, everybody already knows the values. Everybody already knows what's expected of them. You have to hammer it home. It's like parenting 101, right? Yeah, seriously. Um, I have one client that does every, every year in January, they do a, a core values. They, they, they call them the shared values, but they do a core values training hmm. for employees. Every employee has to, and you know, there's, it's a smaller company. It's about 250 employees, but still, you know, every employee has to do it. And if you're a 50,000 or a hundred thousand person company, you can still do that as well as, is have that as part of your employee, uh, ongoing training and learning and development. For sure. And we used to say at Disney, right? Like every informational training is an opportunity to infuse cultural values, right? There's always a way to, to hook that onto it. Um, I think this leads us into the next piece though, that for me, where a lot of people get tripped up is, again, they think it's about training. They think it's about one communication message. But at the end of the day, what speaks larger about do you actually value those things is are your leaders committed and are they aligned around those things? Because I think too often, if you say, if you say speed is part of your culture, right, if that's what we want to do, but leaders are taking two weeks to make decisions on things, it's not. It, you can say it till you're blue in the face, but it's not a value in your organization. And so, I mean, talk to us about what, where you've seen organizations get tripped up here. Yeah, no, this is, you're, you're absolutely right. You're 110% right on this one as well. It's so true because what leaders say and what leaders do 
employees are watching. Employees are watching constantly, right? And I've seen this in a lot of organizations, but I'm going to tell you a fun story that, that um, really sort of speaks to how important this is. Troy Aikman was a um, speaker. He was, he was at an event that I was at a couple of years ago, um, and he was being interviewed by the CEO of the client um, that I was there speaking for. And he starts to tell the story about his first, you know, his first car dealership that he bought. And in that story, he says, hmm. you know, I walk in the first day into the car dealership and I see that, you know, the sales guys are all dressed, you know, they're dressed in khakis or jeans and, and polo shirts. And as we all know, Troy Eggman is always sharp dressed. Like you see him on TV or you see him out, pictures of him out somewhere. He's always oh, yeah. in a suit. He's always really sharp dressed, right? So he says, you know, gosh, I wasn't really happy about that, but I didn't want to come in and be a hard ass on the, in the first couple of weeks, you know, in, in the dealership. So he said, I'm not going to say anything, but you know, I'm just, and I'm not going to change what I'm doing. So he said, you know, I walked into the dealership every day, dressed in my suit, dressed the way that I dress. And he said, by the end of the first week, and he never said a word. And he said, by the end of the first week, half of the employees had up their game. <laughs> Half of them were now dressed in, you know, dress pants and dress shirts, right? And he said by the end of the second week, everybody had up their game. Everybody had changed their dress and, you know, and what they were wearing and, and wearing, uh, not wearing suits, but wearing, you know, dress pants and, and dress shirts. And he said, you know, I never said a word, but that's the power of leadership, right? That's the power. That's what people do. They listen and they watch and they answer. And not, the crazy thing is, it's like when we talk about core values and behaviors, they're leaders. The executives are not exempt. I, I, this is for everybody, right? And so it really totally. is important that they are committed and aligned on, you know, on living this customer-centric culture, living these customer-centric core values. It and it shows up in so many different ways, both positive and negative. Um, so we we had a guy on here. His name was uh, Josh Foreman, CEO of a global fintech company, but they have reduced uh, their work week to 32 hours a week. And as the CEO of a global company, really easy for him to work on Fridays, right? And to actually, hey, I got a ton of stuff that needs to get done. I'm going to work on Fridays. But he knew, and we talked to him about this. We were like, what? He, he said, he goes, look, it's Friday. I'm recording this podcast this is the only thing I've got on the schedule today. I'm going to the beach after this. He's like, the reality is if I stay working 24 seven, my next layer down is going to see that. And they're going to work 24 seven because they're going to think that they need to be like me. That's what I value. And then their next level. And before you know it, we say we've got a 32 hour work week, but nobody actually adheres to it. And so it goes both ways, positive and negative that the example you set as a leader Absolutely. And, and I talked about this, this, that's a great example. And it reminded me of the story that I shared in the book as well about Dan Caffey of uh, Chick-fil-A, right? And how mm -hmm. he, you know, talks about family or talked about family first, family first, family first. And he said, you know, when he would leave to go to his kids' soccer games, he wouldn't leave out the back door in the middle of the afternoon. He would walk down the central staircase and make sure everybody saw him leave and everybody knew that the reason he was leaving it's because he's going to his kid's soccer game. You know, he, he wanted everybody to realize when I say it, I mean it, you know, walk the walk, talk, 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 yeah. the talk, walk the walk. So hundred percent. And again, when it comes to participating in these sessions too, like if we're talking about posted notes going up on the wall and doing all the esoteric, the fun stuff around creating purpose, and we're getting into the creativity. If as a leader, you're like, eh, I'm not going to participate in that. That's like too frou-frou for me. You're telling the rest of your team that it's okay not to participate in that. 
right? Um, so anyway, let, let, let's jump into the third one, employee experience. Employees must be put more first. Now, my my take on this is like, yes, absolutely true. Working for Disney back in the golden days, I would say right now they're going through their own they're they're going through their own transformation right now and i don't think it's my personal take it's not the same disney that it was back when i was there and 15 20 years before but I, that was definitely a, a core concept in our culture was putting employees first and the results will follow i do think there is going too far on that and you can over index on that and not put accountability enough into that and you're saying oh we're just lifting up our employees we're lifting up our employees we're doing what's great for them but at the end of the day, if the business results aren't hitting and you're doing all those things, there's got to be a level of adjustment. But anyway, let's talk about employee experience in your end and and why that is so important. Yeah, and and I'm just going to use you know the world today as an example of why it's so important, right? You know, employees right now, employees want more. Employees want to be cared for. They want they want you know to, um, they want a living wage. They want all kinds of things right now, and customers are. Of customers are feeling it because we're going to restaurants, we're going to hotels, we're going to stores, we're going where I've, I've heard more examples in the last week of bad experiences because companies are short staffed or the employees, you know, just are the attitude is there. And it's not a good attitude, right? You know, my son works for a, a fast food restaurant and he's like, we shut down early because we don't have enough people coming into work. And it's like, okay, well, then mm-hmm. customers can't go to that restaurant and they love that restaurant, you know? So there's all kinds of sort of trickle down implications. If we don't take care of our people, that will affect the customers and it'll ultimately affect the business. I mean, look at, look at this restaurant, you know, they, that he works for They on a Saturday close at four o'clock in the afternoon. That's crazy. On a Saturday, they close up yeah. because they can't get anybody to work Saturday night, you know? And it's so that affects customers who are out getting the stores right near the mall. Their restaurant is right near the mall. So it affects people who are, you know, out and doing whatever. And they want to just grab a quick bite to eat. Can't do that because, well, it's closed, you know, and the business pays for it because mm-hmm. well, they're losing revenue for seven hours that they've had to close down seven hours early for the day because they don't have people working. So, so this is, you know, what we're living and experiencing today with regards to the employee and customer experience, very much a reflection of this particular principle. You know, I've, I've been talking about, I mentioned I started at J.D. Power and Associates 30 years ago. That's when I first started talking about we should be listening to employees. We should be taking care of employees. And, and companies would always say to me, we'll listen to customers now. We'll, we'll focus on employees later. Well, it's later. It's later. And, um, yeah. and here we are, right? And so um, we know that the employee experience drives the customer experience. We see it day in and day out. There's a ton of research on it. We just need to do the work and take care of our employees. And a lot of it has to do with, we just need leaders who care, you know? And, and again, this goes back to leadership and why these three principles, these first three principles are really important is because if we just build the right foundation, everything else will come going forward. Let's, let's jump into that a little bit. We just need leaders who care. What does that actually mean? Cause I think there it's, I mean, something we, a phrase, a phrase we always say is, you know, um, you can be, you can judge yourself and we judge ourselves based on our intentions, but others are going to judge us based on what we actually do, our behaviors. And so I think from a leader perspective, you might care about your people. You might say that, but what are the actions that you've seen 
that really show that a leader cares? What are some of those actions or behaviors that frontline and middle manager employees are looking for from their senior leaders? Yeah. I think it's, I think we can sum it up by saying servant leadership. I think that if you know what that is and know what that means, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for them to put the needs of their people before their own needs, right? One of the great examples that I saw with one of my clients was the CEO who would go and talk to every single employee. Now, this is the company that I mentioned earlier that has about 250 employees. He knows every employee. I don't know there's only 250. I guess if, if um, there were more than 250, every, you know, department leader or whatever, you know, head would, would focus on their people within their, you know, uh, within their span of care. Um, but he knew every single employee. He knew their spouse's names, their kids' names, their pets' names, and all of these mm-hmm. things. He took the time to really listen and get to know them on a human level, not just as, as an employee but to get to know them on a human level as, as an individual, right? And I think that's, that's what leaders need to do. They really need to take the time to understand their employees at that level. And, and, and that, that's where that care is going to come yeah. in. If you, know, if you know that, you know, Susie's husband, Bob, is in the hospital, you're going you're gonna to reach out to Susie on a regular basis and say, hey, how's Bob doing? How's, you know, what's going on? How are the kids dealing with, you know, those kinds of things? But if you don't know somebody at that level, it is hard to, to really care, you know. But I, I just think people just need to be kind. I mean, that seems like such a platitude, but people, everybody just yeah. needs to be kind. But I would give you another example. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Bob Chapman. He's the CEO of Barry Wayne Miller in um, St. Louis. And he had, this, he had this aha moment years ago where he said, you know, we have employees in our care 8, 10, 12 hours a day. We could not send them home in worse shape than they came here this morning, right? Hopefully we send them home better, mm. but we cannot send them home in worse shape. Than, and a lot of that happens, on, you know, you've been working 8, 10, 12 hours and you're just frustrated and you're tired. You go home, you take it out on your spouse or your kids. He's like, we can't have that. That is not what we do around here. And so he, he so I, I actually talked to him, it was probably about uh, 10 years ago when I first spoke to him. And he and Simon Sinek put together, worked together to create this leadership institute um, and put all of his leaders through this training, really focusing on how do we take better care of our employees and how do we make sure that we, mm. um, and he actually calls it truly human leadership. That's, that's the name of, uh, of mm. this approach that he takes. He just says, you know, we, we can't, as leaders, as managers, we can't look at employees as cogs in the wheel to our success. That is not acceptable at all, right? We have, we have to look at them as humans who are coming in and doing work and wanting to do good work and, and we need to take care of them. So very fascinating. He wrote a book called Everybody Matters. Great book. Um, but hmm. yeah, he's, uh, he's, and he's an inspiration. Absolutely. Maybe we got to get him on the show and uh, dive deeper there. I love it. Uh, I, th- I think, I mean, going going into this, piece for us and and build, building on what you were talking about around communication and truly caring about your employees. I mean, I, I, I think it's, have you ever read the book Sapiens? Have you ever read that book? It's a big book in like in tech in Silicon Valley and tech world. Um, so there's a concept in there that talks about like, as we have like from like an evolution standpoint and why did humans like above everybody else kind of persevere. And anyway, so it talks about how like chimpanzees and monkeys are really good at controlling groups 
of people and there's like a leader, there's an alpha within that group. But once it gets up, that group gets up to 50, you now start to realize that that monk, that head monkey can't have individual relationships with all the monkeys because there's too many monkeys, right? So there was that interesting number of 50, whereas for us as humans, we could communicate and scale that. So like use the Pope and like Catholicism, Everybody knows and feels a connection. If you're a Catholic, you feel a connection to the Pope, even though you've never met the Pope and the Pope's never met you. But somehow that person has figured out a way to scale emotion and scale personal like a, a, a care. And so I think that's the same challenge for us. Like you might not when you get to a certain size of an organization, like when I was at Disney and Bob Iger was CEO, I've never met Bob. Bob's never met me, but I felt like he understood and cared for our needs and was invested in that. And he did that in different ways. Um, and so I think that's something that like when we're working with organizations, it's like, how does communication of that care go both ways? How does it go? How do you feel like if you say something, it's going up to leaders, leaders are effectively communicating down. There, there's so many different frameworks and, and ways of actually communicating that, that really make it feel like people are cared. Yeah. that's a great example. So. Love that. Um, all right, well, let's, I, I want to hit on it one more here talking about people before products. Right. Um, what are what are some of your favorite methods for aligning product offerings with customer wants? How do you go about actually doing that? Because I think there are a lot of feature or benefit focused organizations. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, you know, it's really about um, co-creating, co-creation. Um, it's listening to customers, understanding their needs. One of the, you know, whether that's through focus groups or in surveys or it's interviews or whatever, but you've got to bring the customer in um, and hear from the customer. What are your problems you're trying to solve? Jobs you're trying to do, you know, pain points, those kinds of things. Have that level of understanding about your customers and then um, mm -hmm. design a product for them. You know, there, I, I brought into a lot of startups, tech startups, you want, want to show me their, you know, show me their platform or whatever. And mm -hmm. one of the first questions I'll ask is because a lot of times it's sort of, a, a, a me too kind of platform it's like oh I've, I've seen this before yeah. somewhere <laughs> um, and i'll ask well what problem do you solve for your customers and they can't answer that question so if you've mm. if you're building mm. a platform or you're building a product and you are doing it because you think you had this great idea um you, you might want to run that by some customers and or some mm. prospective customers and and really flesh it out and and have a better understanding of because um, there might be something else out there. I use it. There's when I when I speak mm. about this particular um, topic, there's a graphic that I have or a picture that I have. It's a sidewalk um, system. It's a sidewalk going from point A to point C a sidewalk going from point B to point C, but there's no sidewalk that when they built that sidewalk, there was no way to get from point A to point B. And I said, well, you know, they must have either never observed how pedestrians <laughs> use, you know, travel mm -hmm. here, or they must never have talked to people or they must never have like walked it themselves because what ended up happening is pedestrians created their own path from point A to point B, right? So there's this dirt, dirt path going where a sidewalk really should be. And I think it's a good analogy for this, right? Because what ends up happening is, is. If, you, if, you, if you have a product and you, you sell it to customers and it doesn't solve a problem for them or it sort of does, but it doesn't really, they're going to create their own path. They're going to use it the way that they see fit or for the problem that they need to solve. And they're going to get frustrated. It's not going to work for what they needed it to do. And then they're going to move on, right? So I think 
I think that's a really important thing that we need to do is to, Seth, Seth Goat's quote is, you know, find, find products for people, not for, find products for customers, not customers for your products. So I think that's a real mm. point that we need to focus on and, and stick to. Can you, you say, say that quote one, one more time? time? Sure. It's find products for customers, not customers for products. That's huge. And I, I think that's where, I mean, again, for us in the sports and entertainment world, that the question of what problem are you solving doesn't get asked enough. Because I think a lot of times most sports teams and most people that work for a sports and entertainment organization would not say that they're solving a problem. And in the reality is you are. Your problem that you're solving is we're making sure that people aren't bored right? We're bringing their family together where this might be the only time that they have an opportunity to gather during the week. Um, we're solving a problem by providing entertainment. We're bringing them, they had a rough week at work. We're going to bring them joy when they come to our event. We're solving a problem, but people don't think about it like that. And if now you say that, if, if that's what you say, we're solving boredom or you say we're bringing joy. Now you have to realize you're in competition with every other product or service that brings people joy. And now your game has to be stepped up majorly, yeah. right? And you're going to stop talking and, about and that's where people don't. Yeah, sorry about that. I was going to say, then you're going to stop talking about features and functionality, things that are happening at the ballpark or, you know, that now you're going to, you're, you're going to think bigger and you're going to be like, oh yeah. Okay. Now we got to do things a little bit differently. So, yeah. hundred percent. And that's our, you know, Jesse Cole, who also has a new book coming out. I mean, that's where he's changed the game and a lot of it. Uh, if you know him in the Savannah bananas, right? Like they've taken that approach and, and seen tons of success. Um, so let me, a couple last questions here as we wrap up. I mean, what, what's an opinion that you hear in this area of customer expertise or customer experience, customer service, um, customer focus, customer centricity? What's an opinion that you hear that you just flat out disagree with and why? Um, so yesterday I posted something on LinkedIn and I it's a controversial topic, I guess, is around focusing. Do we focus on acquisition or do we focus on retention? And it was really interesting because I just sort of sat back and watched the comments. <laughs> I watched the comments flow. And most people, most people, agree, most people agreed with me that, I wouldn't say most, maybe half, half agreed with me that there has to be a balance, right? We, you know, we, there has to be a balance. We can't have more leaving than are coming in. We can't have more coming in than are leaving. You know, we, we, there, there just has to be a balance. We can't just spend all of everything that we do on making sure that we've just constantly got customers coming in and not focusing on keeping the ones that we have. So, but there were some folks who are quite adamant about the fact that no acquisition, that's where we focus. That's how you grow market share is acquisition, acquisition. And I was like, okay, well, and just really think that there has to be a balance there and not necessarily one over the other. I think they, they're both important, but yeah, so that was, so that's one of them. That is one of the things I've heard. The, uh, the, another thing that, that I disagree with is this whole notion that NPS is the number, is the one thing everybody should focus on. NPS is not my favorite subject. So <laughs> I don't think I'm alone on that one though. There are more and more people. You're not. Are, yeah. You're not. <laughs> And there are now more and more people who are not fans of NPS. So um, those are probably two of the two of the biggest ones right now. God, I should have asked that question earlier. We could have gone we could have gone deep on this. Like like on uh, so my my two thoughts on those topics, real quick: customer retention versus acquisition. 
we so I we started working a lot more closely with my brother's creative agency, Rooted Creative, here in Cincinnati, and they've got a couple clients that do no marketing. They just work with some of these big, massive CPG firms where as the CPG firm grows and gets more clients and creates new products, because they've done such a good job of retaining that one client, their business grows as a result, right? So it's almost kind of like a little bit of a, a flip. And I think the same thing can happen with our customers, um, even in a B2C perspective. Um, on NPS, I, I'm, I'm curious, like I have gone back and forth in the sports world on NPS because I think sometimes it's the way you ask net promoter score question is so important. And for like, would you recommend a, a, a Cincinnati Reds game to a friend is like kind of nuanced because you might be saying, oh, well, team sucks. So no, I wouldn't recommend a game, but the experience was great. Like I had a good time, right? So like, I don't, I don't know. It's just such a nuanced question. I mean, wh why are you not the biggest fan of MPS? Well, I think because when it was first introduced, it just became such a, it, it really probably was one of the drivers of focusing on metrics over the experience, right? So it was really about moving that needle. It was really all about the metric. And, and mm. they would say, that's the only question you have to ask. You don't have to ask anything else, but that question doesn't really tell you anything. <laughs> you need to know more. So if somebody says they're not going to recommend you, why? Or your example, you know. I, I would recommend the experience, but not the team or whatever, you know, so you really have to understand that people just glommed onto the number and that was it. And so that kind of set me off to not, not be a fan of it. Also, I prefer to know, did you recommend, um, will you, okay. Intention can, is, can you really t t tie intentions to profitability? And I think that was the big, I would rather ask, did you, and how many times have you recommended, right? Because that now you can quantify it. Love that. Um, well, Annette, it has been great having you on the show. Um, where can where can people find you? Follow along your journey. I know you've got a couple books. Um, give us give us kind of where can people find you and engage with you? Thank you so much for having me. This has been an awesome conversation. You can find me on my website cx-journey.com. Sorry, I'm using the coffin thing here. Um, and AnnetteFranz.com. And, and I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. So please um, connect with me there. I'm happy to happy to make a, a genuine connection there. What about Twitter? I feel like you got a decent following on Twitter, Annette. Do you have a decent following? Yes, at Annette Franz. Definitely at Annette Franz on Twitter. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> cool. Any, uh, any final words of advice for our listeners before we jump? Um, I would just say, if you're not already doing any of the things that we talked about, just get started, right? It's going to take time. It is a journey, It's it, but it's why we're in business, right? We're in business because of our customers, for our customers, about our customers. So you're not going to, things are not going to go awry if you're focusing on your customer, right? I mean, it's it's just time to get started if you're not doing that right now. If you haven't put them at the center of your business, it's time to do it. Love it. Annette, thanks so much for coming on the show. To all our listeners. We'll see y'all later. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. 
Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.